0: So hi, Lisa. So this is um, our first podcast for a while. And um, what we decided we were going to do is talk a little bit about what's going on with me and um, that being my uh, my recent cancer diagnosis and sort of things that I'm learning from it and just in general how I'm doing. And I think what we decided, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but we do this as sort of an interview kind of in an interview format with you asking questions and being the playing the role of the inquiring minds. <laughs> and I do my best to um, come up with answers. Um, does that sound about right? Yep, that sounds exactly right. All right. Well, why don't we get rolling then?
1: So, cancer diagnosis that must have kind of thrown you for a loop. What were some of your first reactions to hearing this news?
0: Yeah, it was. Um, It was one of those things where it really kind of came as a bolt from the blue, um, partly because unlike um, many people who are diagnosed with cancer, I really didn't have any symptoms. Um, I wasn't in in any pain, for example. I hadn't noticed that, uh, that I was feeling particularly fatigued. Um, my dress size had changed a little bit, but I sort of chalked that up to, um, as I was joking with someone, you know, living the good life in California (laughs) and, (laughs) you know, I'm just getting a little bit older when I found the mass and then was in the process of getting, getting it checked out with, um, with my doctor, I was kind of like, wait a second, this might be something that's really serious. And then when the diagnosis of ovarian cancer came down, the pike, so to speak, it, was, it, it definitely took some getting used to. There was definitely an adjustment period, for sure.
1: What's kind of been resonating with you in terms of your faith life at this time? Are there particular Bible passages or stories or characters that are kind of seeing you through? Yeah, you know, there's there's been a number of different things. I think um,
0: one of the first Bible passages that I really that really came to me was the passage in Psalms about looking to the hills and um, drawing strength from them. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that I can see Mount Diablo out of our bedroom window, mm-hmm. and um, there was just something very comforting to me about just seeing this huge, beautiful mountain and thinking about. Um, just aspects of creation that have been around for such a very long time and sort of drawing strength from just sort of the magnitude of life i think um the other the other other passages that really resonated with me and this is going to sound so so that was sort of a positive image that really resonated with me but another passage that really resonated with me or or that I came to a deeper understanding of was actually Jesus's experience in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've talked about this with a couple other people I know who um, have head cancer. Um, there's something about sort of the, the, the nighttime before you go to bed where you really feel the sort of the angst or the fear or the... Um, the uncertainty of the diagnosis more poignantly than you do at other times during the day. Like, I'm definitely a morning person. So, when I wake up in the morning, I'm always, I always feel kind of optimistic and sanguine and I work out and, you know, I've got this like really great morning energy going on. But there's something about that time of night where your mood just takes a more somber turn. And I never really thought about the fact that that was something that Jesus experienced at that time of night as well, that that somebody who, you know, he was so often just, he's was so often very accepting of what his, his role was and what his destiny was going to be. And then all of a sudden you have this late evening, this, this nighttime sort of experience that he has that is just so different from the way we think about him, you know, for example, with the passion predictions. Um, where he's basically like matter-of-factly says, "This is what's going to happen." You know, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he really, he really experiences this very human sense of of dread and fear. And I really understood the timing of that. I think in a way that I had never really understood before, because I I felt that that was a very vulnerable time of the day for me as well.
1: Mm. I imagine this shift in perspective is just one of several changes, uh, that you've gone through in your life in response to this diagnosis. What else has, has changed for you in terms of priorities or goals or daily routines? Yeah, that is a really good question. Um, I've always
0: been a very goal oriented person and, um, you know, I've always been a person who, uh, you know, as a swimmer and a runner when I was growing up or as an athlete, you know, was setting goals and wanting to, you know, achieve personal bests or, you know, as a student wanting to um, take certain classes and excel in them or even as a as a pastor, you know, wanting to be the best preacher that I could be or, you know, to... Um, to to do things in my profession where i felt as if i were accomplishing certain you know certain types of goals so th- so that part of my life i think or that aspect of my personality is still very much with me but i think one of the things that i found or i have found is that my the goals that really move me now are much simpler perhaps than they were prior to being diagnosed with cancer i mean a couple of my goals um, that I've, I've, without even really sort of like, you know, sitting down and writing a list, like here are my goals for cancer, I really realized that there were sort of two things that I wanted to be able to maintain during, you know, in the process of, of um, you know, being treated for this illness. And, and one was that I've always been a person who is sort of a contented person. And that may run a little contrary to what I said about the setting goals, but there's always <laughs> been a side to my personality where I've I've drawn a lot of like pleasure from simple things. And I, I really wanted to maintain that sense of being a contented person. Um, the other goal that I had um, had to do with my desire to maintain my sense of humor. I think another thing that um, is when I think about myself or when other people think about me, they'll talk about sort of, um, that I am a person who has sort of a self-deprecating sense of humor or a, or a humorous way of looking at the world and especially myself. And so instead of sort of setting these super lofty goals about, you know, life and meaning and stuff like that, I really have, I've really felt that those are two things that I want to be able to always have a part of my life, no matter what is going on, you know, with me health wise.
1: Speaking of goals, I remember you told me once you had a day, in the hospital, when you felt like you were a bad cancer patient. <laughs> and my heart just went out to you because I, I can't even imagine what that is. <laughs> what for you is it to be a bad cancer patient? And what kind of had you feeling that way? But, you know, it was so funny, because, yeah, I think I think the way I described
0: it to Michael and my sister over the phone that day, is I said, I'm failing at being a cancer patient. And I think what I meant that day, well, that day, first off, I had a really bad headache and I felt really nauseated. Um, they had taken the epidural out and I was having kind of a bad reaction to that, to the loss of that, you know, very potent pain relief. Um, and I look back on it now and obviously there's no way of being a failure at, at, um, at, at being a cancer patient. So part of that sort of my own sort of melodramatic humorous way of thinking about, <laughs> you know, how I was feeling that day. But I think a lot of it was just that, because I was feeling so badly, I wasn't feeling that sense of contentment that is so much a part of who I am. And I wasn't, you know, I just didn't, I didn't have much of a sense of humor about that day and how I was feeling. And I think maybe that was even the day when I really realized, you know, yeah, this is what's important to me right now in my life is not what I accomplish and not what I achieve or, but it's more the sort of, Staying in contact with the simple pleasures of life, um, you know, cultivating relationships with people that are strong and where people know that I appreciate them and I love them, and still being able to see the absurd side of things and the <laughs> and the comical side to life. Um, so yeah, so that was kind of, it, it was sort of, you know, when I told my sister that I was failing at being a cancer patient, she said, that is such a Wagner way of looking at things because we, in, <laughs> to a certain extent we were raised to really think in terms of success and failure. And that's something that I've, I've struggled with as an adult, trying to leave that way of, you know, measuring my life and, um, accomplishments
1: behind. <laughs> <laughs> what have been some of the simple pleasures that you've been enjoying lately?
0: Well, one thing that was really um I think one of the things that was really great was feeling my appetite come back after surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was just really enjoying that jello, and people were bringing food by, and for the first couple of days, it was you know Michael was doing most of the eating of the food, but then bit by bit, I really felt my appetite coming back and sort of a certain zest for eating that um that I'd kind of lost. I think the other thing too that I've really um you know, sometimes I get so busy being a pastor and being a wife, and um, just kind of wrapped up in those two aspects of my life, both of which are really important aspects. I don't spend as, spend as much time in contact with my brother and my sister, whom mm. I am very close to in an age and have always been very close to. But you know how it is in life. Sometimes you just get busy, and you you just don't keep in that regular contact the way you should. And it has been just such a blessing. Um, to draw really close to them again and to just be on all, I'm in daily contact with my sister and my brother and I talk almost as frequently and just f- being reminded of what a special relationship that is, you know, that sibling relationship.
1: I love that you've got those connections and that you've got this whole huge community kind of rallying around you, What does it feel like to have that many people like praying for you and sending you their thoughts and supporting you? I think it's, I think it's really just
0: an amazing feeling. I think, um, you know, in my life, sort of my professional life, to a certain degree, degree, you could describe a pastor as like a professional prayer. You know, we're always, Mm -hmm. we're leading prayers, we're leading graces, we're praying out loud over people. And when we encounter them in the hospital, we have our daily prayer life and so I've spent a lot of my life praying for other people, but you don't really realize maybe the power of prayer until you've, or at least maybe I haven't, until you really know that there's a lot of people praying for you. And it is such a tremendously moving thing to know that that's going on. And it's just, it's sort of awe inspiring to realize that all of these different people, um, are thinking about you and sending positive energy your way and petitioning God for your, you know, for your health and your shalom. And it's just, you really feel surrounded by love in a way that is, um, it's, very, it's a very beautiful experience, I would say, mm-hmm. a very rich experience, um, and, and one that I really treasure that's been very precious to me. What have been some of the surprises along the way? That's a really good question. Um, I think one of the big surprises was the degree to which as soon as I found out that I had ovarian cancer, I just felt some of the things that I used to get upset about or worked up about or that really made such a big difference to me, like they just didn't matter to me anymore. Mm. And the things that came to the forefront, things like relationships, things like being contented and positive, you know, just the love that I have for my husband, like those things just, all of a sudden it was like, there was such clarity about their importance. Mm. Um, so it was almost like this incredibly, there was this shift or, you know, it kind of reminds me of the moment when, in Paul, you know, when Paul and acts has the scales drop before his eyes. I mean, I think, I think a lot of times we tell ourselves like, you know, um, it's important to have perspective in life and to, you know, care about the right things and not to get thrown off by the little things. But for me, the diagnosis just, it just did something to me. Um, it just, it, it just tightened my focus. Like if you think of your sort of, you know, your life is having this, you know, you have this lens on your life. It just, it just, it was almost like immediately God just took the lens and just tightened the focus. And, I felt so very differently about my life and about my priorities. Um, And I think that that just the speed with which that occurred, I think was really surprising to me. Um, Something that has not surprised me, (laughs) this is something I've joked with you Rebecca about, is what a terrible patient I am in many ways, because I am just the worst about shots, um, you've heard me describe my COVID nineteen test as being just a really kind of a pathetic example of somebody who does not handle painful situations with you know sort of graciousness and stoicism. Um, so that has not been a surprise, um, but just the the feeling of being more centered, I would I guess I would say, and just how quickly that happened that that has been that that surprised me. I mean, you, you hear people talk about how, you know, things will happen in life and it changes there. And all of a sudden, you know, the things that should be important to them become the actually important things. But I think, you know, for me, the experience of that change
1: happening so swiftly was really, you know, it was really a surprise. It sounds like this is a real um, before and after moment for you. Like there is the life before the diagnosis and now there will always be the life after the diagnosis, and that this is a different existence in some ways, um, different and, priorities, different outlook on the world going forward. I think that's really true.
0: I think um, I think you know when it comes to a cancer like ovarian cancer, which you know is is one where people and I you know and. And I've I've kind of been careful about reading up a lot about, about ovarian cancer because I don't want to spend time online. And this is something that's been, that people have told me is they're like, don't spend a lot of time online reading about this. Mm-hmm. Like really take things one day at a time, work with your doctors, um, you know, uh, find out the things that you need to find out, but don't dwell. Um, but part of what I have sort of recognized is that this is um, a diagnosis where you know, more than likely I will be um, dealing with it and sort of fighting it and struggling with it and, um, you know, working within its bounds for a significant period of time. Mm -hmm. And um, so I do think that there is a sense in which I feel as if um, my life has changed. Now, you know, I may be wrong about this and it may be, you know, in a couple of years and maybe I go in remission and, and then I really feel life kind of returning to, um, you know, the way I felt sort of before the diagnosis, but I, I really don't think I will. I think, I think this is one of those sort of experiences where you know, it, it just stays with you. It, it becomes a, a new way of sort of encountering the world, encountering your relationships, thinking about your priorities in general. That's sort of my sense. But again, I'm a month
1: into it. So we'll have to see how right. I feel in a
0: couple of years.
1: <laughs> Speaking of which, what is next for you? Well, um,
0: so what I've had so far is I've had the big surgery where they go in and they take out all of the different um, masses and any sort of um sort of cancerous lesions that they might have found um, uh having spread to in my case there was there were some um and I don't really know the technical language, but but basically there were some spots on my liver, for example, and I believe my kidney, my omentum. And so they they went in and they kind of took those off. I'm I'm very fortunate that it hasn't spread to other organs. It was just sort of on the surface of things, Mm -hmm. but um, they've done that. And that was a very successful surgery. And I definitely have the scar to prove it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then what I have coming up is um, a pretty aggressive chemo regimen that's going to be starting in a couple weeks now. And so that'll be sort of the the next leg of the journey.
1: All right. Well, onward here we go We'll, we'll do what's next yeah yeah is there anything else we should know about what this experience has been like for you or how we can be supporting you and holding you up um with the next steps I think the big thing is just,
0: um, everything that people have been doing so far where they've been just so tremendously kind and supportive of not just me, but also Michael. I think Mm -hmm. people have really recognized that he and I are on this journey together, you know, that, that it's not this simple thing of like, well, Johanna's ill and Michael's sort of there. It's, it's like, he is just so personally, um, bound up in this experience, you know? And, um, I think the care and the concern that people have shown to both of us has been just amazing. I think the other big thing is to recognize that um, for the next, you know, while I'm doing chemo, you know, I'm going to have to be really careful about, because I'll be immunosuppressed, Mm -hmm. um, I'll have to be careful about being around people. So my sort of, the sort of COVID-19 experience of sheltering in place is going to continue for me. Um, for a while until I'm at least out of chemo, and that so that's going to mean there'll be some differences in how I'm how I engage with leading worship and how I do my job, mm-hmm. and I know people will be really understanding about that. And I, um, but I I mentioned that as something that um, will be kind of part of this experience for the congregation going forward. Um, fortunately, it's just six rounds of chemo of th- you know, and each round is is three weeks long, um, so it's it's not going to You know, it won't be, it's not indefinite, you know, it's not the indefinite future, but um, there are definitely going to be some times when I'm not, I will be there in spirit, not there in body. Let's just put it that way.
1: (laughs) You know, perhaps there's a blessing in the timing here that this is happening during COVID and that we're all so much more used to sheltering in place and, and, people staying home and and not going out and being active. And so maybe it's a little bit easier to kind of maintain that rather than make a sharp transition into that from normal life. Right, right. No, I definitely think
0: that's the case. And I think we've had a chance as a church to put together some, you know, to get better at the technology that I'll be using over the next, you know, four or five months to, Mm -hmm. um, you know, to stay in touch with everybody. And that that I think is going to be good. So... Yeah. So that's kind of where things are. I mean, I think, as I said on Sunday to the congregation, as I was kind of after I did the benediction, I think just, you know, Michael and I really want to thank everybody from just the bottom of our hearts um, for all of the support and love that's come our way. You know, this could have been something that was, I mean, it's difficult, but it could have been so much more difficult Mm. Um, being in a new place, being so far away from family, if it weren't for the fact that this congregation is just so full of just kind-hearted and sweet-hearted and and loving people. And we are just so grateful to everybody,
1: um, you know, for being who they are. Truer words were never spoken. This has always been a thoughtful, affectionate, caring congregation. And they were built for times like this.
0: Yeah. And we're really learning that. And we're very, very grateful to that. So Lisa, I, I want to thank you so much for doing this with um, with me. We'll have, I'm sure I'll have plenty of other uh, fun stories to share about the ways that I drive my different healthcare workers crazy <laughs> um, when they try to wrestle me down to the ground, giving me COVID-19 tests, or when they <laughs> attempt to do things like insert IVs. Uh, let's just say that small children accept these procedures more willingly than I do. Um, <laughs> and that actually is not, is actually the truth. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm really grateful to you for having this conversation and want to just say to the, con- to the congregation as a large at large um, that they should always feel free to be in touch with me um, if they've got questions or concerns or whatever it is that they may want to communicate to me during this time. I look forward to hearing from people.
1: Well, you're very welcome. I've enjoyed having this conversation with you, and I'm glad that uh, we're back to podcasting. I've missed absolutely. this. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, take care, Lisa, and until next time. All righty, sounds good. Bye, everybody.